If you would turn to Ephesians chapter 6. One of my all-time favorite TV shows is called American Restoration. Probably most of you have never seen it. It's on the History Channel. And it is a, it is a reality TV show about some guys in Las Vegas, Nevada, who started out years ago and they own this, this business that restores really old stuff. People from all around the country bring to them rusted, broken, inoperable items from the way past to be transformed to what they were originally created to be, to function once again. And it's just amazing to see what they do. I have coveted for years the many Coke machines that they have restored and Pepsi machines that I want one in my garage with Pepsi-Cola so that I can go down at any time and put my nickel in and pull out a bottle. It's just amazing what I've watched them restore throughout the years as I've watched this show. Interestingly, I, I think there's a parallel. Jesus does the same thing for us. He takes what is humanly unfixable, you and me, and he transforms us, and he recreates us, and he makes us brand new. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that we are new creations in Christ. And Paul's focus in this letter, the letter to the Ephesian church, to these Christians, is that Jesus not only chose them to be saved before the foundation of the world and has transformed them, but as he says in chapter 2, verse 10, he has created them to do good works. That God has transformed us He has recreated us for the purpose of doing good. And as new creations now, these Ephesians, Jew and Gentiles brought together, Greeks and barbarians brought together, rather than being enemies, these men and women in the Ephesus church are now a new family and they have a new heritage. They're children of God. God has transformed them. God has restored them. And as children of God, the barriers that they once experienced in their lives in the city of Ephesus, barriers of bigotry and racism, barriers of hatred and hostility, barriers of superiority and pride have all been torn down because of the gospel because of Jesus Christ. And all who trust in Christ have now been united under the banner of the gospel. God has changed a group of people that lived in a society that is wicked and perverse and godless. And through the power of the gospel, they've been transformed. And as we read about just a few weeks ago in chapter 4, Paul is writing and he's talked about, but that is not the way you learned Christ. In other words, he is challenging these Ephesians that you have learned Christ. You have learned the gospel and that's transformed your life. You are different now. 
And he's, he lists a number of ways in which they are different. They are learning to speak the truth in love to one another. They are learning to live in peace with one another. They are learning to be kind to one another. They are learning to walk in love with one another. They are learning to submit to one another in the fear of Christ. They are learning to, wives are learning to submit to their husbands. Children are learning to obey their parents. Husbands are learning to love their wives. Fathers are learning how to lead their children without provoking them to anger. How to lead their children in a way that is not authoritarian. And this is the wonderful mystery of the gospel. Jesus has and continues to unite us all in him. And that includes, as Paul writes here in Ephesians 6, specifically our families. That's what Paul is after here in Ephesians 6. He has listed all of these ways in which Christ has transformed them. And now he gets to family life. Because Ephesus is a messed up city. It's not an easy place to be a Christian. It's a, it's a hard place to raise a Christian family. The culture that surrounds them, this new church in this decadent city, that culture, that culture weighs down on them. It, it tries to influence them. And as Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, he says, don't walk the way you used to walk. Don't walk that way anymore. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, but don't walk the way you used to walk. And he's, he's talking about that because they are tempted at times. And there, there is some walking in the ways that they used to. And one of the ways is in the area of family life. And so Paul is, is once again engaging them in gospel truth to help reorient their direction to help them move back to the way they learned Christ, specifically how that applies to and affects their families. Many struggled how to be godly parents in that culture, and children struggled how to obey and honor their parents. But Jesus was transforming lives in that church. That's what he was after. And there was hope because as parents were transformed, children were transformed. And the same is true for us. As Christ has transformed us, he will use us to transform our children. He has transformed our lives. And as parents, he will work through us to see the lives of our children transformed. That's the hope we have. That's the, the promise I, I think Scripture provides for us. Now, when it comes to family life and children, not much has changed over the centuries with the challenges we face as parents. Here's what my dad would have said about me, and I think what we can say about the youth of, the, of today. Our youth now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, they show disrespect for their elders, and love chatter in place of exercise. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. We're going to change that in this church. <laughs> they contradict their parents, chatter before company, gobble up their food, and tyrannize their teachers. Does that sound like our culture today? That was written by Socrates. Nothing has changed much. And the efforts that Paul 
implores these Ephesian parents to make on behalf of their children are the same efforts that Paul implores us to make on behalf of our children today. And Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, really continues a theme that Paul began earlier in chapter 5 on submission. Wives submitting to their husbands, both of us submitting to one another in the fear of Christ and, and how family life works and husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. And he, he fo- follows this verse that we're looking at this morning about slaves submitting to their masters. There's this whole sense of, of how we're to live together in community, in unity, because of Christ, because we're in Christ, because we've been transformed by Christ. And Paul wants us to continue this pattern of living together in unity and caring for one another and being, being kind and gracious to one another, walking in a manner worthy of the gospel, worthy of the life to which we've been called to, eagerly desiring to maintain the bond of peace, the unity of the Spirit. That's what Paul's after here within our families. And as wives submit to their husbands and respect them, and as husbands submit to Christ by loving their wives as Christ loved the church, and as they submit to one another in the fear of Christ, the pattern continues with our children. Children are to obey their parents. They're to have right actions. Children are to honor their parents. They're to have right attitudes. And fathers and moms, too, are to exercise their authority gently, teaching and training their children in the ways of God. Look with me in verse 1 of chapter 6. Paul, in a very clear, concise manner, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Children are to be submitted to dad and mom just as dad and mom are submitted to Christ. And in Ephesus, unbelieving fathers motivated their children by fear. That's how it worked back then. And Paul wants to scrap that approach completely. And he wonderfully wants to motivate children in a positive way to honor and obey their parents. He tells them two things. He says, first of all, your life will go well if you obey your parents and if you honor them. And not only will your life go well, but you will live long. You will live long. And Paul doesn't share these promises just to motivate children. I think he shares these promises to instruct parents how to lead their children. That the most effective way we lead our children is through encouragement. Is through positively motivating them. Whether it's through loving correction, instruction, but not through fear. How wise of Paul to show parenting from a positive view in this passage. He doesn't threaten children, but he gives them a vision of what life in Christ is like. It's, it's gospel-centered parenting at its best right here. 
Now, this is especially relevant for dads, and that's who I really want to focus on this morning, although moms need to embrace this as well. Moms, because Paul begin saying, obey your parents in the Lord. And actually, the word parents in the Greek is the same word that he says fathers. It can be translated fathers as well. And so Paul is specifically talking to fathers, but he's, he's including moms as well. And so moms, this morning, I just want to encourage you to eavesdrop in on my conversation with dads. Because when it says here, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger we know how quickly that children can provoke moms to anger. And, and so moms can as well respond in kind. And so you can learn as well. But Paul is speaking of dads because dads lead in the home. And dads have the crucial and critical role to play in the direction of their children. Now let me tell you why Paul instructs dads in this way. There's there's something behind it, and it's so helpful when we can understand both context and culture. The Romans called it patria potestis, literally meaning the father's power. Or in Ephesus, it would have meant ruling your family with an iron fist. That was common in this day. That's what Every Ephesian, Greek, Roman, barbarian, that's what fathers in that day did in leading their families. They would rule with an iron fist. In Roman culture, fathers exercised absolute rule in their families, both over their wives and their children. This rule was not a kind nor gentle leadership. It was harsh, it was angry, and at times it was vengeful. And it makes sense why Paul commands husbands in chapter 5 to love their wives because this patria potestis meant that fathers and husbands did not rule kindly or lead kindly. They did not love their wives. Their wives were as much a possession to them as the horse that they owned. Children were even more at risk than their mothers. At birth, a Roman father could look at a child and decide not to keep it based on its looks or whether it was a girl or a boy. And many girls were simply taken out of the house the moment they were born and dropped on the street. Fathers ruling as an iron fist. If the father did allow them to stay, they often treated their children as slaves. They didn't have the rights that we would see children having today. They didn't have the care. They didn't have the love that we would see in a family today. That was not patria potestis. Dad ruled with an iron fist. And in this culture, fathers maintained their autocratic authority until the day they died. So you could be a 50-year-old son and you would remain a slave in your father's household. It was all on the whim of the father how he treated a child. And it is in that backdrop, it is that culture, it is in that 
view of fatherhood, which is not fatherhood at all, that Paul writes, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, you've got to recognize how radical a statement that is to dads. Not only am I not to rule this way, but I'm not to even provoke my own children to anger. Who cares if they're angry? I'm patria potestis. I'm the ruler. And Paul's saying, no. And he's, he's laid out in, in Ephesians 5 a, a whole new way of living, a whole new approach. And he's given these dads something new. And in view of this cultural tragedy, Paul pleads with Christian fathers to no longer walk like they used to, but to lead their children gently, patiently, with restrained authority. And as dads who've been transformed by Christ, we're called to do the same. That's what God is asking of us in our parenting. So let's consider three ways Paul exhorts us, Paul exhorts these men to be godly fathers. Three ways. One is men who are considerate. Secondly, men who are disciplined. And thirdly, men who are wise. The first one, men who are considerate. We, we are godly fathers when we are men who are considerate. Fathers here are, are obviously struggling with provoking their children in anger. They're not considerate. They're not gentle. And children quickly recognize when we are, as parents, misusing our authority. It doesn't take long for them to catch on. It didn't take long for one of my little girls to come up to me and put their hand on my cheek and say, Daddy, you're mad. How do you deny that? Children pick up on it quickly. And misusing our authority will provoke our children to anger if we act in this way. Paul warns us in Colossians 3, a parallel passage here, that if we... If we provoke our children, if we lead and misuse our authority in such a way that is like patria potestis, if we do that, it will embitter and discourage our children. Now, when I share about patria potestis, I talk about the back in the day in Ephesus and I can imagine every dad in this room, every mom in this room thinking, there's no way I would do that. No way. But sit around with three hours of screaming and disobedience and messy house. And then add to that one hour of sleep in the last 48 hours. And Patria Potestis doesn't sound like such a bad idea. <laughs> now, sometimes our children do get angry, but not because we've provoked them, but simply because they are sinners demanding their own way. All you have to do is go sit next to the candy aisle in a grocery store as mom is pushing the cart, and you will see anger displayed, and it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with your children. And God is after 
after them as well. But Paul's not addressing that problem in this verse. He's now addressing our temptations as fathers and the, the temptations that are common to us in provoking our children to anger. Temptations like harshness or impatience. Temptations to ridicule our children through sarcasm and demeaning comments. Quit acting like a two-year-old. I am two. <laughs> that won't bring the righteousness we desire. Inconsistency, changing the rules. Today it's wrong. Yesterday you said it was okay. What, what's the deal? Quick pronouncements or judgments. Who left this dish in the sink? Everybody's going to bed without dinner tonight. But dad, it was you. You're still going to bed without dinner tonight. <laughs> Unclear boundaries, indecision, neglect, too much fantasy football, too much golf. Uh, never too much golf. Too much fishing. <laughs> Overly protective. And this is where moms can really struggle. That can be their weakness. Moms, let me just make it really clear today. Guys aren't girls. Guys aren't girls. Let them fall and scrape their knee. Let them crash their bike into a tree. Let them build things. Let them fall down. Guys aren't girls. They have, there's just innate. I remember when David was was probably about two, three years old, and Marilyn was just committed that David was not going to play with toy guns. And I grew up with toy guns. I grew up playing army. I conquered the world when I was six years old. I know what it's like. I wanted David to conquer the world. But Marilyn was committed. He was not going to play with toy guns. And one day, he's sitting in his chair at lunchtime. She looks over and he had eaten his peanut butter sandwich into a shape of a gun and was shooting it. And Marilyn said, I give up. And I said, amen, and ran out and bought him his first gun right away. <laughs> we cannot be overly protective. We cannot have unrealistic goals or demands by comparing our children to other children. It's, it's amazing. I, I would send my children off for sleepovers. Five, six, seven, eight years old. And they'd spend the night and they'd come back and the parents would just be gushing about how obedient my children were, how they cleaned up after themselves, how respectful they were. And I, I'm thinking, is it, you, you're returning the wrong child. This is, that's not my child. <laughs> Don't compare to other children because they're different when they leave the home. And, and just the, you just don't know what it's like in somebody else's home. And comparing your children to others, it just creates unrealistic expectations in your heart. And you become disillusioned with your parenting. And let me tell you this. If you are disillusioned with your parenting, it's simply because you're believing in an illusion in the first place. It's not real. Withdrawing love is another way that we can provoke our children to anger. It's a true story. I was at the beach. We're sitting, we're sitting in our chairs, and there was this 
couple, this family, just a little bit down, and they had younger children, and the children were, were playing, and one of the little boys had done something, and this is what the mother said. She looked at the little boy, and she says, you must do a lot of good things to make us forget the bad things today. And then he said, well, how will I know? That was a very sobering moment. Harshness, impatience, ridicule, neglect, indecision. These are the things that are common to dads. That we have been transformed by the gospel. That we are not enslaved to these ways, these emotions, these responses. That we can be different. We don't have to be patria potestis. But instead, we can be fathers who love their children. And why, why do we act like this at times? Why do we struggle? I think there's a number of reasons, but as a pastor, let me give you what I think is the most common struggle I see in parenting and the most common struggle I experienced in parenting. I know Marilyn and I would talk about it. It's fear. Fear that our children will turn out wrong. I remember when we began homeschooling, there was this underlying fear that one day I was going to be driving on the street and I was going to see my 20-year-old son out there with a sign saying, please give me food, I was homeschooled. And <laughs> fear can undergird what we're trying to do as parents. Fear that our children will turn out wrong. Fear that they won't follow God, fear that they'll be an embarrassment, fear that they'll harm themselves, fear that we will lose control over them. And that is often why we become harsh and authoritative in our parenting, because we are fearing that we can't control them. And that's different than training and discipline. And rather than trusting God for the outcome of our lives, we wrest control from God and try to control them ourselves. Considerate fathers are faith-filled fathers who trust in God's sovereign work in their lives, who trust in God's power, and who follow and imitate Christ in the way they relate to their children. Considerate fathers are godly fathers. Secondly, godly fathers are men who are disciplined. As Paul writes here, fathers not only provoke your children to anger, but here, that's the negative, here's the positive, but bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Paul transitions from the negative to the positive. He says, bring them up. Calvin, Calvin's translation of this is wonderful. He says, let them be fondly cherished. Deal gently but faithfully with them. Deal gently with them. Our discipline is gentle. It is wise. Our discipline is considered. I remember once, and, and since David's here, uh, I should have asked his permission, but sorry, <laughs> sorry, bud. Go for it. Good. <laughs> he was... Three years old, he had been disobedient, and so we went into the bathroom, and I was going to spank him uh, because I do believe that that's God's word. Spanking is 
what God's word says is one of the primary ways in which we train and discipline and correct our children. And it's loving correction. And I'll get to that in a minute. But I went into the, to the bathroom with him and I was getting ready to spank him. And he looked up at me and I was talking to him. David, why is daddy spanking you? And, and David looks at me and just says, mercy, daddy, mercy. <laughs> <laughs> And Marilyn hears this laughing from inside the bathroom and we just come out and she says, what happened? And I told her, she goes, well, did you spank him? No, I could not spank him. (laughs) Yes, he did try that again and no, it did not work. We want to train our children graciously and gently and lovingly But discipline is painful. And discipline makes disciples. And Paul tells us that we are to bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. We are to correct our children. It takes discipline in our lives. We need to be disciplined men and women to train our children in discipline. It takes discipline. How often is it when you're sitting in a room, maybe you're watching as a guy, you're watching a ball game or you're watching a golf tournament and you hear in the background a couple of your kids going at it and you just want to pretend it doesn't even exist. And your wife goes, did you hear that? And you go, hear what? (laughs) And you're just thinking, this is like the most crucial moment in the golf tournament. If I miss this, my life is over. I can't miss that. And, and you're, you just kind of, you, you rationalize why you're ignoring what's happening in the background. And your wife knows exactly what's happening in the background. And then you get up with an attitude. Because you wanted to sit there. But it takes discipline. It takes us being disciplined as dads to say, no, this is an eternal moment, not a golf moment, not a football moment, not I'm a tired moment. It is an eternal moment. And it takes disciplined fathers to get up and say, this this is a divine appointment with my child. It takes courage as fathers to not be influenced by the culture and fear people and how they will react to our biblical parenting. That we actually say we do use spanking as a means by which we train our children. Because we live in a culture that says that is brutal and that is abusive and that is wrong. And God says just the opposite. And who do we fear more? Do we fear the culture? Do we fear the reactions? Or do we fear the Lord? We want to train up a child in the way he should go. Train him up in the Lord. And that's what Paul says here. Discipline your children Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Proverbs 13.24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Scripture makes a clear statement that when we don't discipline our children, we don't love them. 
That's what Scripture is saying. And when we discipline in anger, I want you to know it's not true discipline. It's patria potestis. But patient, loving discipline models God to our children. Because in Hebrews 12, we see that it's a loving father who disciplines his children. And that's what we want to model for our children. So it is critical that we discipline our emotions before we discipline our children. So we are, as, to be godly fathers, we are to be considerate. To be godly fathers, we are to be disciplined and give discipline. And thirdly, to be godly fathers, we need to be wise. We need to be men who are wise. Because Paul writes here, bring them up not only in the discipline of the Lord, but in the instruction of the Lord. And we can't instruct our children in what we don't know. We can't give them what we don't have. Formal instruction is a must part of our routine as dads. But we can't give them out of an empty bottle. To be a dad who instructs their child is one who has been instructed by God's word himself. This really is the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 6 where we're instructing our children at every turn, sitting down, walking on the road, laying down with them at night, talking with them. In every moment there is a, a sense of instructing in God's word, teaching them about who God is and all God that is that he's done in them. But you know what? Most often I think our instruction is informal in the daily activities of our lives. One of the commitments I had at very early on when, when, when David was born as, as our firstborn was that whenever I went somewhere, I was taking David with me. It was not always convenient if I wanted to run, run over to Home Depot, get something because I was working in the house and then run back. Because if I took David to Home Depot, there was at least a good 20 minutes where he's riding the mowers out front. And that was, that was a joy for me to see him, you know, riding the mowers and pulling the levers and, you know, and, and it trained him to mow the lawn when he got older. It worked. It was great. It was... He didn't know it, but I did. <laughs> but those times together, throughout the years as I've had the privilege of traveling to other Sovereign Grace churches to talk about the international work that I do on behalf of Sovereign Grace, most times I always took one of my children with me. And we'd have anywhere from four to eight hours driving in the car. And on occasion, I would pay for a ticket to, for them to fly with me. And it would just be a weekend away with dad. And we'd have time together. And it was in those informal times we're driving along the road that we're talking. I remember, we were sitting in a restaurant. It was uh, Jenny and I. And, and we're sitting in a restaurant. We, we went out for breakfast. It was a father-daddy date morning. And we were having breakfast out at Denny's. And, and so it was a fun time. And, and as the waiter or waitress brought the bill, I asked Jenny, I said, how much should we give the waitress? And she said, a nickel. 
And I said, well, no, sweetie, we want to we want to pay them because they served us. And she did it cheerfully, and we really want to bless them. And so daddy's going to give them this much, and this is how we treat waiters and waitresses. We're always kind to them. We're always thanking them for serving us because they work a hard job. Can you, can you give her that money? And, and that was just a teachable moment. But let me tell you something. Your life as parents, as fathers especially, you have many of those teachable moments many of those teachable moments. And the, the hard part is recognizing them. It's much easier to approach life with convenience in mind rather than teaching in mind. But let me encourage you. Let me plead with you. Think like that. If you're going to the store, and, and, and trust me, a lot of times when my kids went to the store with me, we didn't just go to Home Depot. Somewhere along the way, Baskin and Robbins or Johnny Cone or whoever, there, there was, I, I love ice cream and I just thought, what a great excuse for me to get ice cream. I can take them out for ice cream. We made it a fun time. And sometimes it did get me in trouble with Marilyn. <laughs> ice cream at nine o'clock at night. <laughs> or the many pizza picnics we had in the living room when mom was gone. Mom would come home. Mom, guess what we did? No, no, no. (laughs) We had a pizza party in the living room. No, no, no. Spontaneous times. Live in such a way that your children wonder what's going to happen next. There's this anticipation of what's dad going to do next? And in that process, you're instructing them. You're giving them biblical wisdom. You're drawing them closer to the Lord. You're training them in the instruction of the Lord. There are those moments every day. And wise fathers take advantage of those moments. And that's what Paul is saying here. Fathers, don't just provoke, not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what's, how do we apply this today? Well, let me just encourage you, imitate Christ in the way you use your authority. Imitate Christ in the way you use your authority. Study how Jesus uses his authority and imitate him in that way. Secondly, be a model of Christ to your children. It really is true that with our children, more is caught than taught. That they they learn more by what they hear and see than often by what you tell them. It doesn't mean we do not tell them. We do. But they often learn more by just sitting and watching and listening. And thirdly, and most importantly, let me implore you that trust Christ and his sovereignty regarding your children. Our goal is not just well-behaved children. Our goal is to lead our children to Christ, to position them so that 
There is a day that you've taught them to obey your voice. One day you are positioning them to obey the voice of the Lord. That we are leading them to be transformed by the gospel. But we can't make that happen. That's a supernatural work of God. And that's where we trust the sovereignty of God. And that's where it's a mystery. Is it our work or is it just waiting on God? It's both. God uses us as parents, as instruments to transform the lives of our children. Now, fathers, let me encourage you. I have been here almost a year now. I have had the privilege of watching dads from all ages, and especially our young dads. I just marvel at the faithfulness that you are displaying in this church. And you are to be honored. And I want to thank you men. You are the future of Grace Church and you are doing it well. You are doing it well. And let these words from Paul today not condemn you, but encourage you. Let them inspire you today. And may you hear, as I desire to hear, more importantly, first as a husband and then as a father, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray.